it feels like in our culture that you have to get everything accomplished in your 20s, that you have to do everything when you're young, that you have to arrive and succeed at everything. And so a practical thing might be to say, I'm going to stop trying to get to the result and start building the foundation for how it will matter later on, you know, because everything you ever do in life will be an overflow of what you've cultivated and who you've become in your heart. And so if you spend all your younger years trying to have output, but there's not much input, then you're going to run dry. Somewhat anxious, always authentic. This is Real Life Loading. I'm your host, Shelby Abbott, and one of the best books I've read this year is called When Strivings Cease by Ruth Cho Simons. Now, I'm clearly not the target audience because the book was written specifically to women, but I have to tell you that when I actually did read it, it rocked my world. And so I had to have Ruth on Real Life Loading. I was in Philly and she was in Colorado when we talked, but I felt such a strong connection with her because there's actually a lot of overlap with her story and mine. I really resonated with a lot of her experiences as she grew up in an honor-shame culture. We're going to talk about that and how it affected Ruth's view of God and herself. And then we'll explore why the gospel is important for actual everyday life. Here's my time with Ruth Cho Simons. Okay, so you live in Colorado. Can you tell me about one of your favorite things about living in Colorado? Totally. I mean, I never thought I'd be able to live in the mountains because I'm kind of a city girl, you know, but I live at 8,000 foot elevation in Western Colorado. And, you know, I think my favorite thing about it is probably that I get to look around every day and realize that I had nothing to do with the sunrise, the sunset, or anything (laughs) that I see around here in all of creation. So it's kind of just a wonderful, humbling experience to be up in the mountains. Yeah. Every two years or so for my first 20 years of being on staff with crew, we would go to Fort Collins, Colorado for our staff conference. And I just, it was right at the base of the Rockies. It's a great town. It's got like great shops and restaurants and stuff like that. But there's like bike lanes everywhere. There's people on skateboards everywhere. There's parks everywhere. I was like, this is what normal life is like. Everybody has a dog. Everyone has four wheel drive. (laughs) So we have like all our vehicles have four wheel drive. And so because you're a guy, I got to just tell you, my husband owns a Defender 110 imported from England that, you know, seats nine and goes up to, you know, crazy jeeping trails. And then, um, yeah, we just have all these vehicles so that we can go places that normal people don't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's so awesome. Yeah, I love Colorado. It was one of those things that was like, life should be this green. Everything should be green. Granted, I was only there in the summers, but yeah. uh, and I know it gets crazy with winter and stuff like that. It is crazy. Whatnot, but. <laughs> so uh, I read your book. You've written and talked about the concept of grace quite a bit. And this has so resonated with me personally because I'm the quintessential uh, good kid. I was a firstborn and so um, tried to appease uh, older authorities in my life, parents, teachers, uh, in order to receive acceptance and honor and love. And so um, can you talk a little bit about your personal experience growing up and tell me 
what feelings and thoughts you had as you were in an honor shame culture? Yeah, I think some things are subtle in our upbringing and some things are really blatant, right? Subtle things would be like, you know, passive aggressive comments. If, um, for example, I'd have extended family members, if I got off a plane or came in for a visit, the first thing that would be said to me is, oh, you gained weight, you lost weight. Oh, you are so pretty. Or, oh, you should do something with your hair, not how are you? And I really want to know what's going on with your heart or in your life. And that wasn't meant to be mean. It was just a way of saying, I care. But I think it was woven into this idea that we lead with what we present on the outside. And I internalized a lot of that and started thinking, as an Asian American who immigrated here, um, I was four when I um, started my life in the U.S. And I didn't even know English yet, Shelby. I mean, it's crazy that I write books in English, my second language, and really didn't even start praying or thinking in English until I was in college. Um, But I think when I was little and starting to try to figure out who I am in the context of all these people that don't even speak the language that I know in my heart, I start finding ways to seek approval, have friends, feel accepted. And we all have that. And regardless of what your background is, you don't have to be an immigrant to understand what it feels like to not belong. Every yep. kid in middle school feels that way. Every kid in high school, everyone on the internet. I'm just, so, I'm sorry, but like I'm <laughs> in my late forties. And if I go on social media, I still feel like, hmm, what do I have to do to be loved and belong here? And those are subtle things that we're training ourselves to believe must come from outside things rather than who we are on the inside. Yeah, it's totally true. And the way that you explain it, resonates, I think, with anybody who's feeling like, "Eh, am I the right person in this room right now? Am I presenting the right way? I was a military kid. My dad was in the Air Force. And so we moved on average every two years. And I felt like that all the time. Like always the new person, always trying to reinvent myself. Yes. Not wanting to go super deep with people because I knew I was going to be leaving within the context of the next couple of years. Went to three high schools. And then my fourth year of high school, which would have been like my fourth high school to go to, Uh, My family left and moved to Central America, and I stayed behind with a different family, and the dad was second-generation Chinese. Oh, wow. And so there was was a culture shift in the home as well that I was not used to, and some honor-shame stuff there that I was not accustomed to. So I I don't know. I feel like your book really connected with me personally, and I'm super grateful for how you were able to be honest and then apply the gospel to it. So thanks for your your background there. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the phrases in your book that again really resonated with me, you have not finished the dishes. Oh man, that um, story. <laughs> talk talk about how those six words impacted your life so deeply. Yeah. So when I was in middle school, I was just like a typical middle school girl obsessed with who liked who and how that boy is choosing another girl and not me. And I was feeling all the Taylor Swift feelings, right? Of like <laughs> early teen girlness. And um I came home and was trying to talk to my dad specifically about all the goings on of the day. And let me just be clear, my parents were not truly walking with the Lord. I don't know if they were really even believers at that time. So they were doing the best they knew how. But um, that night I shared all these things and I was going on and on, Shelby, as if like my life was really exciting and interesting, but also really heartbreaking. And I really wanted him to take it on and be like, yeah, who could ever choose somebody besides you, darling? You're the best. Come sit on my lap. (laughs) And I said, oh my goodness, you're not even looking at me when I'm talking to you about any of this really important stuff. Why don't you ever look at me when I'm talking to you? And he looked up and he, I don't know that he meant to hurt me when he said this, but it just felt like these quintessential words that summed up the entire season of my life. But he said, 
well, you haven't finished the dishes. And in that moment, Shelby, what I knew, and whether he meant it that way or not, but it literally summed up this entirety of my upbringing where it felt like I'm only worthy of being in your presence if I finish my job, if I do my end of the deal, if I'm pleasing, if I don't screw up on the things that I said I was supposed to do first. So imagine how it feels later on to become a young Christian thinking, well, my heavenly father doesn't want me to come to him until I read my Bible and read it really consistently. Or maybe, gosh, I sinned again. Shouldn't I clean up my life before I come to him? Or why would I even come to him with the crazy of my life if I don't have all my service in order, if I'm not doing everything really well. I'm not volunteering at VBS. I'm not teaching Sunday school. I maybe should do all those things and get it done before I come to him and say, I've got needs. I've got issues. So I really had a misunderstanding of what a loving Heavenly Father was all about. And it took years, which is why I think this message matters so much to me because we can look around and say, yeah, we're obsessed with hustle culture. We're obsessed with like manifesting the life that you want. And honestly, I can't even imagine being a 22-year-old right now who might think that they should have a million TikTok followers already and already be earning six figures at 22 and establishing a whole brand and getting you know paid sponsorships from all these mega brands. That's the pressure right now. Yep. But if we as Christ followers stop and say, Okay, let's reset and really understand. Is it just that Jesus is, you know, is Jesus just a salvation story getting us out of hell and then we're good to figure it out on our own? Or does God's grace actually matter for everyday life? And so that's what changed my life completely yeah. to recognize yeah. that um, my worth is not to be earned. So, yeah. This is the kind of stuff that I wish uh, someone would have explained to me. And that's what your book does so well is it just articulates this stuff and goes, hey, like it's almost like counseling, really, because like that story you're able to take, for example, and go, let's figure out what that one incident in my life spun off into and affected my view of the creator of the universe. Yeah. Like that's good counseling. It really, really is. Well, and then you have to test it with what the word says, because I can just kind of assess and analyze my childhood and say, wow, that made me feel really worthless and not special or that I had to earn my worth. And if I just stop there, then I basically have to look for the answers inside myself, right? But if I go to the Word and say, okay, what does God say about my identity if I surrender to Christ? Yeah. Then that changes everything because then suddenly I realize... I'm adopted. I'm a child of God. I have a new identity. I'm a new creation. I belong. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. I will never be cast away. And so when you start looking at God's Word, then you stop thinking that you need to find a hallmark moment through reading Scripture. Then you say, okay, this is actually battle for my soul and my sense of significance. Like I need to replace the words I say about myself based on my upbringing and replace them with the truth of God's Word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talk a lot about the gospel in the book. Uh, you said the gospel can feel like old news mm -hmm. if we believe it merely good for salvation and miss its potency for true life. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about this, but why is the gospel important for every single day and not just for when somebody becomes a, a, believer, a new believer in Christ? Yeah. Um, throughout scripture, when you look at God's word from beginning to end, it's an entire love letter of how God pursues us. And he gives us all these stories and accounts of how he was a part of and planning and orchestrating even the hardest moments in people's lives because he was weaving a story that ultimately would bring us to him and never cause us to ever be apart from him. And so what makes us think that we should 
acknowledge, wow, I need Jesus because I don't want to be separated because of my sin. Okay, Jesus, I want to receive you as my Savior. But then we run off and start thinking that we can use all these formulas from the world or even look within ourselves to figure out how to do life. And so I feel so burdened for young people who somehow think that the gospel is powerless in their lives or that maybe it's just a you know a fluffy story because I don't think it's the true gospel that they understand. If the gospel feels powerless in your life or you don't think that God can actually transform you, then you may not have heard the real gospel. You may not know the real Jesus. You may have gotten a sham, a cultural version, a feel-good little slap a fluffy sticker, the Hallmark sticker on it to be like, hey, everything turns out good at the end. And that's not the gospel story. Mm -hmm. The gospel story is that you need a savior and that he will never let you go. And he'll be with you every step of the way. And now it's time for three dots, three thoughts on real life loading. This is where I share three simple ideas that could potentially change your life or at least slightly improve it. Thought one. I know this is gonna sound bizarre, but write, like with a pen and paper. I found that I'm not writing a ton anymore because I'm always communicating through a digital device with my fingers or thumbs or voice text, and I forget how to write with a pen. Seriously, I feel so clumsy when I'm printing an address like on an envelope or even journaling. So why don't we commit to writing with a pen and paper more often? Let's do it together because I don't wanna lose muscle memory for that. Handwritten notes, letters, or messages are so personal when you get one. So let's keep our hands in shape. Send someone a handwritten letter today. Thought two. Sunscreen is your friend. Now, I really wish somebody would have drilled that into me when I was 18. So I'm slightly suggesting you consider it now. In reality, regardless of the environment you live in, you should wear sunscreen on your face every day. That might sound a little bit stupid, but I do it every day by putting on a face moisturizer with sunscreen in it after I shower. It's super easy to start that routine now, and it'll keep your gorgeous face youthful into your later years, which is super far away, but maybe not as far as you think. Thought three. I was talking with my friend Paul Tripp about how we live in a world where bad things happen. And sometimes we wonder why God doesn't do something with the people who arrogantly mock him, live lives of untruth, and participate in injustice. It's the age-old question, why does it seem like the bad guys are winning? Well, here's why. You ready? God's mercy reigns so his judgment waits. And that means you and I are gonna live in a messy world. He's giving mercy day after day after day after day so that those who don't know him or honor him are given another day, another week, another moment, another chance to confess, turn to God and away from their active rebellion or passive indifference. Psalm 10 talks about this in a really honest way. So check that out and see if you can relate with the author when you read it. But remember this, God's mercy reigns, so his judgment waits. And that means we're going to live in a messed up world well, for now. This has been Three Dots, Three Thoughts on Real Life Loading. Now back to my time with Ruth Cho Simons. 
Ruth, we just talked about why the gospel is important for everyday life. And one of the reasons why is that the gospel reminds us we can't be our own hero. So why is it good news and not bad news that we can't save ourselves? Well, I know that from experience. You know, ultimately, I think everywhere we look, it seems to be that people are telling us, hey, you have what it takes. So just try a little harder, get up a little earlier and hustle a little harder. I mean, you know, if you want to build wealth, build a company, any of those things, if you want to reach your full potential, dig deeper. And here's the thing. Uh, That's exactly the opposite of the gospel because Jesus says, you know what? Left up to yourself, you actually will run dry and you don't have what it takes. You don't even have what it takes to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That most important commandment, we can't even do that because the next second of your thoughts, Shelby, and my next thought is not going to be loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are not capable of doing what God asks us to do. So the only way we can whether you want to call it succeed or live to our full potential or be exactly who God made us to be is actually if we say, hey, I surrender my natural hell-bent way of doing things myself (laughs) and saying, hey, I want a new life in Christ because you know what? He's so much better. He lived a perfect and holy life and He was only one who could be our Savior. And so it's freeing because then I can say, hey, it's not that tools aren't worth it. Some of those self-help tools can be helpful. Sure, yeah. And it's not that you shouldn't believe in yourself. Nobody's saying, hey, as believers, we're down on ourselves. No, it's that you don't find that your your skills and your talents and your ability to stay up all night is the source for which you're going to succeed. Yeah. And if you wake up in the morning and say, you know what? Today, I'm going to believe in myself and I'm going to work so hard. Well, you know what? You're probably going to succeed for a while. That's why self-help actually works. Yep. Because if you do that long enough, if you hustle hard enough, you might get your private jet and you might grow that (laughs) incredible company and you might succeed on the outside for a while. But I promise you, you will never stop running, Mm. right? Anyone who's listening right now, if you're trying to build something and you're trying to build it in your own strength, you probably can never rest. In your heart, you know, wow, I can never rest because no one else has got my back. I got to be the one who secures everything, who succeeds at everything, achieves everything. And it's exhausting. And so at the end of the day, I think that's why we need to really not just look at the gospel and say, this is the story that God told about Jesus, and I'm so glad that I'll know him in heaven. But no, like he actually came so that he would show us that, and specifically tell us that he left the Holy Spirit as a helper because we are not to walk on our own or do things on our own. He didn't just say, see ya and do a great job with your life. We'll rate it at the end. He's like, hey, I am going to prepare a place, but I'm going to leave you the exact person of myself to live and dwell with you so that every single thing that you're up against, I'll go before you and I'm with you, and it will be through my power that you even do these things. And so that humbles me every day, Shelby, where I go, he may bring a lot of opportunities. I mean, it's not, I never thought in a million years I'd get to write books or be on a mm-hmm. podcast with you or do any of the things that I'm doing. But what I get to do is only because I live a, hopefully more and more every day, a surrendered life where I say, hey, I actually can't do any of this in my own strength. So you bless and you take away. And right now you're blessing and you're giving me this opportunity. I'm going to step in it in your strength. And that's the only way I know how to do it. Yeah, and you, I think you had said one time in the book, like the end goal isn't the grace itself that God gives us, it's the relationship with Him. Yeah. I know a, maybe a person could be hearing this and go, okay, I need to be humble and recognize that God is the true prize and not 
uh, work on the hustle and and the self condemnation and trying to prove myself. What's a practical way for a person to get out of the cycle? Because I've heard even non-Christians say, you Christians talk about relying on God. What does that mean? Like, what do I do? And maybe that's the wrong question to ask in the first place. So I do think we can get practical, but I think the thing that might be disappointing is there's no quick fix and it's not a formula. So just because there's something practical doesn't mean that it's going to be quick and easy or an easy button. So I'll give you some of the practical things that I address every day of my life is one, I have to be a student of God's word and the gospel. So like I need to go and read Romans. I need to go back and understand Galatians. I need to go back and look at how the God of the Old Testament was the same God of the New Testament, and that the story is continuous and it's weaving the entire picture. If it can be of help, when striving sees is also a Bible study, or get involved in your local church, ask a mentor to help you walk you through the truth of the gospel. Start reading Romans and be amazed that you don't understand some things and say, <laughs> yeah. I need to talk to somebody. Be okay so, with that. So yep, that's yep. A one practical. I'm, I'm telling you, it's not quick and easy, but yep. I don't think you'll ever be able to lay down your striving when striving ceases the name of the book, you will not be able to cease striving if you don't understand the good news. The gospel yeah. literally means the good news. And if it doesn't sound like good news to you, then you probably don't understand it yet. So that's one thing. Secondly, I think that we can start cultivating rhythms in our lives that actually help teach us and remind us that God is God and we are not. Yeah. So for example, um, if you stay up every night till 1.30 in the morning trying to get ahead, it doesn't matter how much Bible you're reading, you're not actually physically acknowledging that God made you to need sleep. And I think for those of us who try to like operate on really little sleep and just drinking Red Bull and espressos, um, <laughs> we're actually training and telling ourselves that we're God. And so mm. maybe take an inventory of that and say, okay, am I planning out my days in a way that reflects that I believe that God's word is true and I need to honor him with the way I rest and the way I work and when I turn things off? So that's just practical. And a third practical would be that um, it's a good start by doing something every day that reminds you that God is bigger than you. And so Move to how Colorado. I do that. Look at the yes, mountains. how I do that. And I don't think you you can be in a city, you can be in Detroit and not be in the mountains sure. and still go on a walk, still observe. It's how you choose to assess what's around you. I always say this, and I sound like a broken record, but everybody has access to a sunrise and sunset. I don't care where you live. You can choose to look up and say, the God that caused the stars to come out at night, that's the God that's holding all things together, Colossians 1.17, right? And so those little things paired with, really actually being a student of the Word and the Gospel, that will help you because just going and studying, signing up for a seminary class on the Gospel alone is not going to change you. But submitting and saying, I think I need to look at my work-life balance a little bit and assess whether I am telling the Lord with my body even that I think He's God or if I think I, I'm God myself. These are practical, good things that young people need to hear, especially the accepting your limitations and knowing that you're finite. Um, yeah. I spoke to a group of college students just last week, and I said, hey, you need to recognize that you sleep for a third of your life. Some of you get heartburn when you eat marinara sauce. It's too acidic. <laughs> and guys, when you play soccer, when you get to your mid-30s, just 10 years from now, your knees are not going to work the way that they used to. I so love it. I'm glad I, you yeah, rec Recognize this. And that, and again, your need is not a bad thing. 
It's not a bad thing. Your need points you to something. I would also say that it feels like in our culture that you have to get everything accomplished in your 20s, that you have to do everything when you're young, that you have to arrive and succeed at everything. And part of the limitations is that you don't know what you don't know when it's your first job or when you are not yet married or when you're a new parent. And that's not saying that we all have to live the same lives or you can't choose a different schedule for yourself. But I think the reason why I bring that up is to say everything you ever do in life will be an overflow of what you've cultivated and who you've become in your heart. And so if you spend all your younger years trying to have output, but there's not much input, then you're going to run dry. And so a practical thing while you're being a student of the word and changing some of your rhythms might be to say, uh, who am I becoming here? Because it might feel good right now. It might pay the bills right now. But if you long to run the race for a long time and be effective and be dynamic and still be growing and building later in life, then you got to invest now and get pretty clear and do the work right now of becoming who you want to be because you only get there one day at a time. And you can't just take a six-week workshop on becoming somebody fabulous um, (laughs) in your 40s. You got to start now and talk to the Lord about it. So again, none of these are like formulas and it's not going to happen quickly, but I just wish that somebody had warned me when I was younger that um, everything you hope to do, Ruth, you never know if God will give it to you, but stop trying to get to the result and start building the foundation for how it will matter later on, you know? And I'm glad I did that. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, you've kind of mentioned this throughout our time together, but God has allowed you to do some pretty cool things. So what's coming up next for you that you're super excited about? Yeah, I think the two things that are on my mind the most is that I have a full-color devotional called Pilgrim coming out this fall. Um, I go back and forth between books like When Striving Cease and books like Pilgrim or Beholding Becoming was one of the ones that I did a few years ago. They're full-color devotionals trying to go into an intimate like daily reading situation where you kind of like linger long in those pages. So that one is coming out. But also I tried something new this year, Shelby. I, I wanted to take all these kinds of conversations that show ups only in podcasts or in interviews. And I wanted to have this more in a daily walk kind of way. So I started a membership site called the Grace Lace Collective, where I pray and hope to draw like-minded women together so that we live these things out, so that there is like a growing journey where we read God's Word and talk about it, where we cultivate prayer, and also where I can live stream some painting because people keep asking for, you know, wanting to see me paint. But that's not something I love doing on social media where it's just open all over. I want to cultivate a community that way. And so that's called the Grace Lace Collective, and it's something new that I'm working on. So launched recently. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to share? I think over and over again, I just want to encourage anyone who's weary and listening in right now that if you think that following Jesus is just to get you to the destination where he's finally sitting there with his arms crossed going, I guess that's good enough. You tried. Okay. I had a whole (laughs) bunch of rules and you, you did your best then you've completely missed who Jesus is. The God of the universe is actually arms so open wide, pierced for all the junk that you've ever thought that nobody even knows about. And he says, and draw near, come closer. And the come closer goal is not so that he could be like, okay, I fixed you. Okay, now go live your best life. The come closer is now I get you. You belong to me now, Shelby. Ruth, you belong to me now. 
the goal is actually that he would grab you close and say, you're mine forever. And nothing, not sin won't separate you. The enemy can't take you. And your stupidity won't ever, ever cause you to like fall away and be over there in the mess. That's what coming to Christ is all about. And if nobody's ever lived that out before you, and if nobody's ever told you that that's the actual good news and not you just being a better version of yourself, then I'm really sorry because that's not the good news of the gospel. And I would just encourage you by saying, um, the Bible is hard to read, and I will be the first to admit that there are parts of it that I want to skip altogether. <laughs> but I would encourage you, especially in this day and age, that it's a complete love letter, and all of it is true, which means, ultimately, don't just pick the parts where it reinforces who you need to be. Go first to who God says He is. Start there. Yeah. Don't even start thinking about what you should do to clean your life up. I promise you, if you start with understanding and knowing God and His heart, all the other things will fall into place. Then you'll find that you'll be drawing near just because how good He is, not drawing near because you think that you're such a mess and you can't figure it out and you need five steps to figuring it out. No, you'll draw near because He is love and He's good and He is God and He will do the work to transform you. I really love talking to Ruth. In fact, this was one of the best and most helpful conversations I've ever had with a guest as we've talked about the subject of grace. Regardless of if you're male or female, pick up the book, When Striving Cease. It's so good. And if you like this episode of Real Life Loading or you thought it was helpful, I'd love for you to share today's podcast with a friend. And wherever you get your podcasts, it can really advance what we're doing with Real Life Loading if you'd rate and review us. And it's unquestionably easy to find us on our social channels. Just search for Real Life Loading or look for our link tree in the show notes. I want to thank everyone on the Real Life Loading team. You all make it happen. I'm Shelby Abbott, and I'll see you back next time on Real Life Loading. Real Life Loading is a production of Family Life, a crew ministry, helping you pursue the relationships that matter most.